0: Am I on? Is this good? All right. Mary, that's, I didn't realize announcements could be so fun and enjoyable. That's really good. (laughs) Uh, Before we get going, uh, one last announcement that definitely goes in the really good news category is that I'm pleased to announce that next week will be an ordination Sunday. Yay! (laughs) Kay McCoy. Uh, who has been in the elder candidacy program for a while now, what, two years, Uh, is going to be ordained as the next elder here at Saving Grace Church. And we're very, very excited about that. So don't miss it. That's next week. All right. It's my pleasure to be the person who's preaching today. (laughs) Um, We are continuing our first John series, and the title of today's message is called Abide in Him. And today's passage can be a little challenging, not necessarily because it's hard to understand. It's actually really quite clear. John is really quite clear in his, in his writing. It's just got some terminology in it that we don't always use. Um, if you look in your copy of the Scriptures, uh, 1 John chapter 2, you probably have those little headings. And yours might say something like, warning concerning false teachers, but yours might also in that same heading instead say warning, warning concerning antichrists. And that's not a word that I don't think is in our, like our daily usage. So that can make it a little tricky, but that's okay. We'll, we'll deal with that. You'll hear that word a whole bunch of times today. Um, I've been told when I've spoken on past Sunday mornings that I tend to be more of a teacher than a preacher. And that's probably because I'm professionally a teacher for the past 25 years. I'm hoping today my goal is to try my hand at both. So we're going to sort of split this message in half. And the first part is going to be kind of like a teaching, teaching the passage. Like when we're working through a book like this or Acts or Exodus or any of the ones we've done in the past, it's important to teach the passage. We need to have our doctrine be accurate, our theology be accurate, but then there are some passages like this one, many, many passages like this one, that are ripe for application to our lives today in 2021, and that's where the preaching comes in. So we're going to take a look at the passage, see what John is actually saying, and then we're going to uh, switch over to the preaching half. So let's pray, and then we'll start. Father God, we are thankful You this morning that we can gather here together, Lord, and we need your help, Lord. I need your help in particular. If I teach and preach the words on these notes this morning, Lord, and they are just my words, they will not accomplish anything. So, Lord, I ask, Father, that you would help me to teach what you would have your people hear, so that it would be your words, because your words are the ones who give us life. They're the ones that give us life and change our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask for this miracle in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so let's read through the passage, and then we'll jump in. If you're looking in your Bible, this is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, and it says this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many, antichrists have come therefore we know that it is the last hour they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too abide in him. All right. So for the teaching part, I want to cover three things. Have you ever uh, read a really, really good book? Like the kind of book that when you get to the end, you're sad, not because maybe the the book ended in a a bad way, but just because the book is over. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Like I've read books where I get to the end and I think, I'm almost mourning the loss of this book because I'll never again be able to read it for the first time and not know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it was that good. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to know what happens, right? So I want you to imagine that you're reading this really incredible book. And John, in this passage, is kind of giving us a preview of how it's going to end. And so the three things we're going to cover as we teach this passage is this, the last chapter the last chapter of this really good book, the enemy's last stand and the happy ending, all right? So for those of you who are taking notes, the last chapter, the enemy's last stand and the happy ending. To put this in context, so far in this series on First John, these are the kind of things that we've been talking about through a series of messages. They've been things that we would put in the category of pretty fundamental things in our Christian walk. Stuff like this, God came to earth To offer eternal life to all who would receive him. This news of God coming to earth and offering eternal life should be proclaimed to all. To receive that gift allows us to be in fellowship with God and other believers. And because of our receiving of this gift, we should walk in his light. And then last week, Scott Wigner was here and taught that walking in his light means. Not loving the things of this world, but rather loving the things that God loves. Remember when Scott said that crazy sentence? It was something like, uh, when we love someone, we love the things that the one we love loves, right? So we're reminded to love the things that God loves. But when we get to this passage today, in 1 John chapter 2, we realize that there is a reason why John has been covering these fundamental things. And the reason is that something has happened with this group of believers, and it's created confusion and distress. And we can relate to this because we probably all have things in our lives, incidents in our lives, when we took action after something has happened. You know, like maybe, maybe it's something good, but oftentimes it's something that goes away that we wouldn't prefer it to go. And so we we send the email, we make the phone call, we write the letter, we have the conversation because something has happened that has caused disruption and probably hurt. And I think we've probably all been there and so what we're seeing is that John is doing this. He's addressing something that has happened. And the thing that has happened is that there's a group of people that was somehow connected to this group of believers that John is writing to And we don't know exactly what that connection looks like, but they were somehow connected to them and they have gone out. They have left. They've departed. John says that they are not of us. They are not of us, which means they are not enjoying that fellowship, that fellowship of believers, or even that fellowship with God. John's saying these people who have gone out are not believers. They're not Christians. They're not redeemed. And as you can imagine, for this church that John is writing to, this is going to create some kind of confusion because they, we don't exactly know the details, but they spent some amount of time with these people who have gone out. And that's why John's writing this letter in the first place. So John addresses this tension. And there would be tension because imagine if you were in that situation, you'd probably be asking yourself questions like, why? Why did they leave? Why did this happen? Are more people going to leave? Am I going to? You know, what's, what's going on? John addresses this tension to start out with some really good news. And that's our first point, the last chapter. The really good news that he says right away in verse 18 is this, children... It is the last hour. That is really, really good news. When I was a kid, I attended uh, Bethel Assembly of God in Ebensburg, Pennsylvania. And we had a guest teacher one time. I don't remember his name or even why he was visiting. But I remember very clearly him saying that he believed very strongly that his children would see the return of Christ. And his kids were about my age, and so I think that's why it lodged in my head, you know what I mean? Because I was sitting there as a kid, and he had kids who were about my age, and he was saying, I believe very strongly that my kids are not going to die before they see the return of Christ. And so, barring any kind of tragedy that would end my life sooner than anybody would expect, The idea is that before I die at a ripe old age, Jesus is going to come back. And that would be awesome. (laughs) That would be really, really great. I hope he's right. But that's not what John is saying. He's not saying that. In fact, Jesus himself is very, very specific in Matthew 24. He says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. We don't know when, and I appreciate that teacher's conviction like he was convinced. I appreciate that, and I, I, I would like to see that. But that's not what John's saying. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we do know, what we do know is that Jesus' return, his return is the next big biblical event. It's the only thing remaining to happen. All right? In the Scriptures... We've been given the histories, you know, from creation on. We've been given the prophetic books that talks, talks about the coming of this redeeming Messiah. We've been given the Gospels that, that demonstrate that that Messiah is Jesus, that he came in the flesh, that he accomplished the mission for which he came. He established the new covenant in his blood that we celebrated this morning. And we have the letters that kind of help us walk out that new covenant. But there's nothing else after that except for the coming of Christ. We're going to be starting a new series in January on the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews starts like this. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he goes on to say that that Son that God has spoken through, when he accomplished his work, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. In other words, his work is finished, and he's just waiting to return at the appointed time. So that is really, really good news that we don't know when he's coming, but it's the next thing that's gonna happen and every second that goes by is one second closer, amen? That's good news. It's the last hour. The second part of this teaching is this. It's the enemy's last stand. John immediately follows that saying, it is the last hour, by saying this. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming so now many antichrists have come. Now, I don't think that there's anybody in this room who could be like, if I had a quarter for every time I said antichrist, I'd be a rich person. You know what I mean? Like that's just not a word that we use in our normal speech. It's like probably not in your top thousand words or your top 10,000 words, right? It's like not something we talk about a lot. It can feel like an uncomfortable word, and we can get hung up on it because we're not as familiar with it. And we can especially get hung up on it because he says, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, like the Antichrist is coming. And so we can kind of think about this this singular individual who's coming at some time, and who that will be, and what it will look like. and And we could start going down these rabbit trails of all kinds of things that we don't know, and we can't predict, and we certainly have no control over. I think it would be more beneficial for us to look at the second half of that phrase, which is, so now, many antichrists have come. Because when he says, so now, that means it's already happening. It's happening right now. And what's interesting to me is John said that accurately in the year, like, 95 A.D., when he said it, he meant it then. And here we are 2,000 years later almost, and it's still true that antichrists have come. It's happening right now. So I think back to that guest preacher at my church in Evansburg, and probably what made him so convinced that Jesus was going to come back soon was he seeing the effect of these antichrists that are in the world. And we all do that. We look around and see, man, the way the world's going... Jesus has got to come soon. I mean, how many of you have thought that? I've thought it for sure, like this week, all right? But I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about these antichrists that are here now, that there are those in the world today, and there were then, and there will continue to be, there will be those that believe and teach a lie. They believe and teach a lie. Now, this is not to say that every lie that you can think of is Antichrist because John is very specific as to what he's exactly talking about. And in fact, I'm going I'm to give you a little quiz at the end of this message. So be listening very closely because I'm going to give you the answer right now. There's like a litmus test as to, as to determine, to identify What lies are the Antichrist lies? What lies are the Antichrist teachers or false teachers? And John says it's this, it's those that deny Christ. Those who deny Jesus that he is who he said he is. And to deny Jesus is to also deny the Father. Clarity on this issue, that that that's the litmus test, that denying Jesus is the litmus test for the Antichrist lie, clarity on that is very, very important. It's very, very important so that we can identify the lies when we hear them. But it's also important for another really, really practical reason. The very next sentence that John says is this. After talking about this scary-sounding Antichrist, he says this, they went out from us, But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Please hear me when I say that that does not mean that everyone you've ever attended church with who doesn't attend church with you anymore is the Antichrist. (laughs) Okay? Do, Do you understand that? All right? Please guard yourself against the thought that anyone who goes to a different church than ours especially if they at one time attended this church and now go to church somewhere else, is who John is talking about. He's not. He's not. He's talking specifically about those who deny Christ. We can't apply that logic of like people who were here and now are somewhere else. We can't apply that logic for a lot of reasons, but one of them is just kind of obvious. Like, I look around this room, and myself included, there are a lot of people in here who at some point attended another church and now come here. So if we apply that same logic to ourselves, then somewhere there are people who are thinking that this scripture is talking about us, right? Because we went to church somewhere, and now we go somewhere else. I, I'm i ashamed to say I used to do that. Like, I used, I used to think the church I go to is like the one who gets it right like we get it we understand what's going on nobody else does and when when the lord rescued me from that thought i had a lot of repenting and apologizing to do all right it also doesn't mean this it also doesn't mean and i say this to those of you who your bible may not have the word antichrist it might have false teacher which is a little less scary sounding, but it doesn't mean that John's talking about anyone who has a different doctrinal view than us. There are people in this room who don't share same doctrinal views. We've had these conversations with each other. He's specifically talking about this, those who deny Christ. That's a big, big difference. Those who deny Christ and so in doing deny the Father. So we know as we're coming to the end of this really incredible story that we're in the last chapter and that the enemy, these antichrists, these false teachers are making their last stand. But then here's the third teaching point, the happy ending. John says this in verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John is encouraging them, and by extension he's encouraging us thousands of years later, that the way you combat these enemies making their last stand is to basically stick to the fundamentals. Listen to what you've been taught from the beginning. Jesus is actually who he said he is. He came in the flesh He did exactly what he said he would do. That is the truth that John is calling us to abide in. And abiding in that, remaining in it, soaking in that truth, is the thing that is going to cause us to remain in God. Now, it's possible to hear that and have this, like, fear. Okay, what if what if I don't? What if I don't? All right? What if I don't abide in him? Am I going to be lost? Well, John gives this further encouragement later on, a couple of verses later, to remove that fear. He says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. The anointing that you received abides in you. What is that anointing? It's the Holy Spirit it is a gift from God to every person who's put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. It's a gift that's given to every believer. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So that anointing is the Holy Spirit. And he says that you have no need that anyone teach you. And here I am teaching you. Teaching's a good thing, all right? Teaching's a good thing. And if it wasn't a good thing, we wouldn't do it every Sunday. That's, John is not saying you don't need to be taught or you don't need to worry about teaching. What he's saying is you have a teacher that is literally inside of you. He's literally inside of you. And while the teaching that I'm doing right now on this Sunday morning, I hope is helpful to you, I hope the Lord uses it to change you and help you and encourage you. The teaching that the Holy Spirit does actually keeps you in God. That's what John's saying in verse 27. The Holy Spirit, this teacher inside of you, keeps you. And if you need any more proof of that, Paul, in his letter to the uh, Philippians, said exactly the same thing. In chapter one, verse six, Paul says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've put your trust in Jesus, then a good work, a miraculously good work has been begun in you and it will be brought to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we have this incredible story. There's so much more we could say about this passage but we're gonna leave it right there and step into the preaching part here in a moment. But we have this incredibly amazing story that's not just a good story like a good book is, it's actually really happening and we're in it. And it's, we're in the last chapter, the enemy's making their stand, but we know from John that the Holy Spirit is gonna keep us. And so the ending will be a happy ending, amen? So let's move into the preaching part. Try my hand at this. one of our responsibilities as your pastors and we actually ask the same from you for us because we need it as well one of our responsibilities is to to protect the flock that the lord has given us responsibility for uh, from among other things lies in this world that would seek to capture your attention and like i said we need that help from you too we, those same lies come against us, and they try to capture our attention. I was so thankful then that two weeks ago, out here in the backyard, Fred Neal was here, guest preacher, and he taught on Christian maturity. You remember that? It was a really good message. If you didn't see it, it's on the YouTube channel. Go, go look it up. But he mentioned, uh, while he was talking about Christian maturity, that false teachers in the year 2021 come at us in millions of different ways through technology and media, okay? And I think we all understand that and would recognize that is true. I got nervous when he said that because I thought he was about to take all of my material for this morning. Um, But he didn't, so it's good. So I'd like to address just three lies. There are many in this world, but I want to address three lies that are preached to us in our culture almost constantly without without end and around this room we may ingest those lies in different amounts depending on our just our habits you know what i mean like we we hear these lies in the form of television shows that we watch and movies that we watch and internet sites that we visit and social media sites that we Uh, read, and celebrities that we listen to, and the sports that we enjoy, and just anything, things we read, any kind of media that we consume, and being around other people who consume those things, and then we have conversations. This, This stuff is coming at us all the time, all the time. If you're not convinced of that, like hang out in a junior high for like a day, okay? It's all the time. And these are things, Fred said this too, these are things that may not be like actually in the flesh, people knocking on our door trying to lie to us. That happens too, but um, these are things that are coming to us when we don't even really notice it. So as your pastor, as one of your pastors, I'm, I'm not so worried about you falling for the lies that come knocking on your door because they're really super obvious, those ones usually are there are there are organizations in this town that preach Jesus but if you listen to what they're saying about Jesus it's not it's not the Jesus we know right there there's there's an organization that teaches that Jesus's second coming has already happened that he's here in he's here in this world he's just invisible and he's working through a board of directors that's housed in a building in downtown Manhattan, and your only hope for eternal salvation is to listen to what that board of directors tells you to do at every moment till the end of time. And that's real, I didn't make that up, okay? There's an organization that says that God was not always God, that he was a being from another planet and he became the, the God of that planet and now is the God of our planet. And if we do the things that God tells us to do, we can aspire to become the gods of our own planets someday. I didn't make that up. That's for real. So if someone comes to your door and knocks on your door and tells you stuff like that, you're probably not going to fall for it. But these lies that come at us and are hidden are just as denying of Christ. They are just the same antichrist spirit lies because they deny Christ, but they hide. And so I think that's why it's important we talk about them. So, lie number one that we hear all the time is this, there is no truth. There is no truth. Now, no one's going to say it to you that obviously. Instead, you'll hear things like, you need to find your truth. What is your truth? There are many paths to finding God. Or that may be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. All of these things that are kind of around this category of there not being a truth it all, what, what's behind all of it is that there is no definitive, objective standard for what is true and what is not. And instead, truth is relative, which means that it depends on context. It depends on your experience. What may be true for one person in one place at one time isn't true for another person in a different place and time. And not all relativism is bad, it's just a thing. Okay, like if you guys know Tim Barber, who's one of the ushers here at this church, I could truthfully say that Tim is tall, right? If you know Tim, he's tall. And that's true if I'm comparing Tim to other human beings, right? Like he's not the tallest human being on the planet. But generally speaking, if you look at the average height of humans, you could say truthfully that Tim is tall, But if I say Tim is tall and that's relative to like giraffes or skyscrapers, then all of a sudden it's no longer a true statement. So relativism in itself is not like a bad thing. It's just a thing. But when we apply that to truth, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue because if truth is relative to human experience or philosophies or whatever, then we may as well not have any truth at all. And sometimes, many, many, many times, the Lord in his goodness and mercy to us gives us a passage of scripture that just like kills the lie instantly. So in John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth relativism denies that fact. It denies that fact and therefore it rejects Christ. When we hear about relativistic truth or whatever we want to call it, it often presents itself in a couple of different ways. So one is, you might hear this, there is no external objective way of measuring the truth. Well, yes, there is. His name is Jesus. And he said, I am the truth. Or you might hear this, well, there may be an objective standard, but we can't know what it is. Well, actually, the Lord gave us this. And he's laid out from the beginning of time his plan for redemption through his truth, the way, the truth, and the life, his son, Jesus. Or you might hear this, there may be a standard of truth, but no one can understand it. Well, that's not true either. God is famous for opening people's eyes to the truth by his Holy Spirit. And the really, just as an aside, the really ironically kind of funny thing about this whole issue is any one of these claims that I just read are when people make that statement, they believe they're saying the truth, <laughs> right? is that kind of fun? like think about it. There is no truth, but I really believe this statement to be true. So it's, it's kind of goofy. All of these are lies. Jesus did come in the flesh. God gave us the way, the truth, and the life through the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive, his son. And if we want to know what the truth is, all we need to do is look to Jesus and see what he said. And friends, we should not be idle about this. We should not be idle about this. We should proclaim, proclaim the truth. Do you remember um, there was, was a moment in the Gospels, and I don't remember which Gospel it was now, sorry, where Jesus was doing amazing things. He had a crowd of people around him and the Pharisees were there and they challenged him with a question. They said, by what authority do you do the things you do? You remember this? And Jesus, like he often does, he answers their question with a question. It's kind of like this cool moment where he's like, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. And his question is, John's baptism. You remember John's baptism? John's baptism. The baptism to repent, was that from God or was it from man? It's such a simple question. Pharisees, would you say that John's baptism is from God or from man? What do you believe is the truth? But the Pharisees instantly like relativized the whole thing. They like gather together. Hey guys, come on, we got a huddle. What are we going to say? And they say, if we say this is from man, there are a lot of people. There's a big crowd and a lot of people think that this is something that God was doing and they're gonna not be happy with our answer and we could get hurt, like physically hurt. But if we say it's from God, everybody's gonna know that we didn't participate in it and we rejected it and we taught against it and we're gonna be really super embarrassed because we're supposed to be the people who are teaching you about God and and, uh, displaying the characteristics of God and we're not doing that. So that'd be really embarrassing. So they said, we don't know. Like really smart answer. We don't know. Well, the Lord is calling us to not be wishy-washy like that about the truth. We have been given the truth. We are to proclaim it in a, Lord, in a world that lies to us a lot. We should stand and proclaim on the truth, proclaim the truth, because there is only one. So the first lie is there is no truth. That's a lie. Here's the second one. Lie number two, if I feel it, it must be true. If I feel it, it must be true. You'll often hear this one as follow your heart. Believe in yourself. I saw a sign this week that said, believe in yourself and you will be unstoppable. And I thought, A, I, that's gonna be a lot of disappointed people, and B, I work in a junior high, so I really hope it's not true, Okay? <laughs> These kids start believing them in themselves, we're in trouble, all right? Once you deconstruct the idea that there's like a pure truth, like we just talked about in that first lie, once you get rid of the idea that there is no truth, then the only thing that's left over is to do whatever you want and to do whatever you feel. And you become the ultimate authority over your actions because you get to just choose what you what you want to do based on what you feel. If it feels good to you, do it. It must be right. And that is such a danger. That is such a danger. Without Jesus, following our hearts is always going to lead to death. Jeremiah says this in chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is deceitful, above all things and desperately sick who can understand it even those of us who have trusted in Jesus we're new creations we still struggle to fully understand our own hearts multiply that times 10 million if you haven't heard and received the truth and it says this in proverbs 14:12 there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. I can't think of a scripture that is better illustrating the many empty wells that people try to draw water from in this world seeking satisfaction and will never be satisfied. Will never be satisfied because that way always leads to death. And I wanna talk about this more in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna preach again in November. But one really like obvious current event issue in our world um, that I think illustrates this is the issue, ongoing issue that we hear all about all the time, about gender and sexuality. All right, something that is so clear in the scriptures that God created mankind, male and female, has been so confused to the point where people really truly believe that there's this spectrum and and like an unending possibilities of what gender can be called or is all right and many try to drink from that well because they're seeking satisfaction to to satisfy something that they feel but there's the absence of truth and so they follow their hearts and it leads to destruction. Now please hear me. I don't want this to sound like, especially as I talk about that particular issue, I don't want this to sound like an us against them, like we should have an us against them kind of mentality. We would be foolish if we thought that temptations toward gender confusion and like same-sex attraction were not already present in our churches. We would be foolish To think that wasn't happening it's hard to think about but but it it's a thing all right and we even if you haven't experienced that temptation that specific one you certainly have we all have I have experienced other temptations if we haven't fallen for that specific temptation we've certainly fallen for other temptations and so we need to lead in this issue With love and kindness and care. John is a great example of this because in this passage and throughout this letter, he deals with some hard issues, but he, he deals with them with gentleness and kindness. There's one commentator that says, Instruction is more effective when delivered with a shepherd's care rather than a tyrant's force. And there's something else we also need to be on guard about with this, this idea of follow, following your heart, and if it feels good, it must be true. We also have to be on guard as a church that we don't allow those kind of things to affect what we teach. There is a temptation in this world among churches, we are not immune from it, that will continue over time, that will seek to have us change the message that we preach in small ways or big ways, to account for things that people are feeling. That, that in seeking to love people, we think that the right thing to do is to just affirm what they feel instead of standing on the truth. And we need to stand on the truth. Amen? So following your heart is an antichrist, antichrist lie. Instead, Jesus says, follow me. Let's follow Jesus. And the third lie is this. This one is kind of funny. You only live once. YOLO, right? Or if you're Yoda, only once you live, right? <laughs> Thank you, Zach Collins, for making that happen. <laughs> you only live once. This lie is old. It's been around for a long, long time, and it's come in lots of different formats and different sayings, but YOLO is kind of the current one. You only live once. And you might be thinking, wait a second, that's actually true. (laughs) You do only live once. And you're right. We don't, like, reincarnation isn't a thing. We don't come back, right? We only live once. But what this is trying to tell you is that when this body decays, And fails and stops working there's nothing else there's nothing else after that and that is not true I said this was an old lie Solomon dealt with this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 15 he was kind of frustrated because he was observing the world and he saw this thing where people who were evil were experiencing good things and people who were living righteously were experiencing difficulties and difficulties and tragedy. And in his frustration, he said this, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. In other words, you may as well enjoy it because it doesn't make any difference in life anyway. And Solomon said that, recognizing, and this is a theme all through Ecclesiastes, that God's hand is present on our lives at all times. Now, extract God from the equation, and you can see how much more difficult this lie becomes. And it strikes right at the heart of the gospel that we preach, the good news of Jesus, because the good news of Jesus Christ is good because there was very, very bad news first. And the very bad news is that if we live however we want in our fallen state, we will sin. We are born in sin. And that sin has to be paid for. The really, really good news is that the sin has been paid for. It's all been paid for by Jesus. And if we receive that gift and put our trust in Him, the penalty for that sin that we deserve is removed from us. We often say that God saved us from our sins, and it's okay to say that, but it would be more accurate to say that God saved us from His own wrath because what we deserved because of the sin that we had, that we bore, was the wrath of God, the wrath of a just God. And so Jesus paid that price for us, and we have been rescued from that wrath and whether you're talking about the good news or even the bad news it points to something more after this life it doesn't just end when we die there is something that comes after that you only live once denies that reality and therefore denies the need for a savior but the gospel points to so so much more How many people have ever heard the phrase carpe diem, seize the day, right? How many people have ever heard of, uh, you don't have to raise your hand for this if you have one, but how many people have uh, thought about bucket list things you want to do before you die? There's nothing wrong with those things. It's good to have, there there are some serious advantages to like setting goals, things you want to get done, seizing the moment to get it done. Um, I have things I want to do, you know, Um, but we're not controlled by them. As Christians, we are free to give of our time and our wealth and our giftings, everything that the Lord has given to us, everything that seems to be ours but is a gift from the Lord. We are free to give those things to bear fruit for eternal things, to sow seeds of truth that bear fruit for eternity We're not bound by the tyranny of the things of this world. There's a scripture in Psalm. I love it. It says this. This is Psalm 1611. It says, you, speaking of the Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The lie you only live once denies that there's anything past this life. The scriptures, the truth say, there are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that much more beautiful? It's so much more beautiful. So let's proclaim that so many, many more can come to know Jesus and enjoy it. In conclusion, I wanna, I wanna point you to two encouragements before you leave, okay? Because some of the things we talked about today can be a little scary and specifically the phrase that John says right at the beginning of this passage they went out from us because they were not of us we we already talked earlier about why you don't need to have that fear that it's going to happen to you or whatever but i still think it can sow a little bit of fear you know like what's going to happen and and if you look at statistics like in the United States of America and this is not a i'm not preaching about the United States of America I'm just saying, if you look at the data of people who would claim to be Christians in the United States, it's changed massively over the past couple of decades. And so that doesn't really help us feel better about this, right? But I want you to imagine this, like there's, imagine a person, like a statistical representation here, let's, let's imagine a person who's standing here who is definitively 100% a new creation, born-again Christian— And over here is a person who is an atheist, rejects it all, doesn't believe anything. And in the middle is this third guy. And a couple of decades ago, the third guy would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. Because at that time, it would have been more socially advantageous for him to identify as that. Right? The way culture was at the time, maybe you have to go back more than a couple decades, but... At some point, there would have been a person who, that would have been more advantageous to do that. Now, in 2021, it's not quite as advantageous for the guy in the middle to be called a Christian. And so really, when we look at the statistics, it can be a little scary, but in reality, the guy in the middle just got more honest about where he stood, right? So what that tells me is that Jesus Christ has established his church and we don't see we can't see in other people's hearts and so in a a lot of ways to us that church that real true church that jesus has established is invisible we see a visible church but the true church is invisible to us and as culture changes and these lies become more prominent the invisible church is becoming more visible and that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for a lot of reasons, but it's also good because the Lord is famous for using times of challenge and difficulty for the church to add more and more numbers. He saves people out of really difficult times and difficult situations. That's the first encouragement. The second one is this. I told you there was going to be a quiz at the end, right? Remember the answer? What is the litmus test to decide whether a lie is Antichrist or not? Denying Christ, that's right. Denying Christ is what identifies the Antichrist lie. And what's the remedy? What's the remedy in the face of many Antichrists have now come, John says. What's the remedy? He says this, let what you heard from the beginning Abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Eternal life. The reward is eternal life. So I hope that that is an encouragement to you, to abide in in him amen worship team come on up i forgot to invite you up before that last point but let's pray and then we're going to worship the lord some more in singing father god we are so thankful to you this morning that you rescue broken people that you have rescued many by the blood of jesus christ we are thankful lord that you have given us your word that your word is true, that it is the truth, it is the only truth. And Father, we give you thanks that you have done in us a miracle by opening our eyes to be able to see a truth that we would never have been able to see or know without your miraculous intervention. Father, we give you thanks that your word is clear and that you help us to understand it. And so, Father, we ask this morning, as we go out from this place into a world that speaks lies to us all the time, that does not love the truth, that you would remind us by your Holy Spirit that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit to stand firm on your word and proclaim your truth to the world that needs it. Father, we ask this and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.